Welcome back to the Bondry Visited Podcast. You are listening to part two of episode five, where we revisit and rank You Only Live Twice. After Tiger informs Bond to go investigate a nearby dock, he ends up having a unique encounter with a Spectre agent. Join us as we take a look and eventually add You Only Live Twice to our rankings. Yes, so Bond, yeah, Tiger says go to the docks because that's where the boat is. So Bond and Aki go to these docks where they find liquid oxygen, which means something. I don't. Rockets, clearly. Rockets. And then, I don't know if I like this scene or not. So they are just walking around, taking a look. And then a guy in a forklift just tries to drive into them without (laughs) any warning. Yeah. Uh, And then he turns around and there's just these like stereotypical Japanese workers looking all like tough and gruff, like pulling faces like, yeah, we're going to get you, Bond. Yeah. You've come to the wrong dock. Like tapping, tapping a, a wrench or something in their hand, sort of thing. It's just, it is very caricaturist, isn't it? Yeah. So corny. And then Bond just runs away. That's his kind of solution to this. So he sends her. They split up, and he sends Aki to go to shadow the ship to try and, and follow it. While Bond then gets into this chase scene of everyone following him, and like. This is a weird scene because he's being chased by a lot of people and he gets up to the roof and then we get this like zoom out shot showing all these people like hoarding over Bond as he's just like punching one or two of them. And then I think the main theme plays here. Like the da 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 it's No, like... it's, it's, it's very similar, but it's not the same theme. Oh, is it not? It's not the same theme, no. So what is it? <laughs> I don't know what the name it's it's um I would try and hum it but it's going to sound terrible but yeah it's it's similar and it has that it, it's it's got the kind of similar sound to the rest of the score but um I I really like this shot I, I'm similar to you where I'm a bit conflicted about the scene overall at the docks because it does have the silly henchman that the the silly dock workers looking angry at the beginning and also we, we touched on it earlier about how there's a lot of death in this film. Uh, but death just done very um very quickly and, and nonchalantly like just and i think bond in this scene in particular is just shooting willy-nilly he just doesn't care he's killing everyone uh as they're going after him there's not even an attempt to try and you know uh take out people <laughs> uh non-lethally no just shoot them all shoot them all as they're coming up the stairs but um once he does get onto the roof and it does cut to that that helicopter high angle shot and it's that it's a one-take shot of yeah, Bond just going through and beating up one or two at a time because they very helpfully only attack him one or two at a time. Um, I just I just thought it it, it really stuck out to me, uh, and I wrote down. <laughs> I think it's just a combination of the change of of camera angle, the the fact it was this one take shot, the music. I was like, oh man, I'm getting goosebumps, but I think it's just because it was cold <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching the film. But I re I think. Just all together, this this scene really works for me. It's actually one of the standout bits of the film for me, uh, which might be strange to some people, but I just really like it. It's unique. It's definitely yeah. unique. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's bad. And again, I like that it's unique, but I, yeah, I was left a little bit more confused. And I think if if it wasn't for the music, I think if they put in some more action music, it would kind of fit a bit better. But 
I mean, if they did that, then it wouldn't feel as unique. So I don't know. I, I liked it, but yeah, I don't know. It would a bit odd. A bit too odd it, for me. It does what we mentioned before about this film having a very good sense of scale and quite literally with this shot pulling back so far. It just has a really, yeah, a really great sense of scale that matches the rest of the film. But it was probably also one of the things where it was really impressive at the time, right? Like in the 60s, mm. this was probably very difficult to do and you probably didn't see shots like this at all back then. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it, you know, helicopter shots would have been. I know we got a couple in um, Thunderball. So, you know, it's clearly something they were wanting to do more of and, and kind of fin- finessing it as they went along. Yeah, we got them in Thunderball, but this one was actually like, choreographed right like you actually saw bond running across and all this stuff happening previous helicopter shots it was just like here's the ocean looking nice and things like that this was like no this was a planned out shot of bond running across this roof being chased but they were able to zoom out the whole time so it's definitely impressive from that side of things yeah i really like it and this all ends with bond getting surrounded and a load of japanese men then get a load of sticks out a load of wooden sticks or boards i guess two by fours and Bond just drops down like a couple of floors and lands on this big, I don't know, something. I, I don't think you're meant to really know what it is. It's like an Assassin's Creed hay bale thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what it reminds me of, yeah. Yeah, and then he walks away looking all smug and doing his usual, like, oh, just my tie, Go back to business. And someone just knocks him out from behind. And we see that <laughs> Osato is there and says, take him to number one. So Bond has been captured. Wait, number one? No, sorry. Number 11. (laughs) Number 11, yeah. Number 11. That's my mistake. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be a very quick quick ending. Yeah, again, that's another thing I completely forgot about this film is that, I mean, I knew that Spectre was involved, but by this point, I couldn't remember there being any numbered people apart from number one of Blofeld. But there is, yeah, we've seen number five and number three and number two and Thunderball. And now we get number 11. I, there's, just, there's a lot of them. Don't forget number six. Number six. Oh, yes, of course. The man in the dress. The man in the dress. Yeah, who could forget? So after Bond was knocked out, he 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 wakes up. Does he wake up in the next scene? I've already forgot. Yeah. He wakes up, he's tied to a chair uh, with number 11, who turns out is Miss Bunt. Brant. Brant. <laughs> Miss Brunt. No. I'm I'm getting mixed up with the next film with I think Bunt's in that one. Um Brand, yeah, Miss Brand is there. And uh who yeah is number eleven, turns out. So she's does work for Spectre and um she's there with some uh some tools to potentially torture Bond with. Some prosthetic tools. Uh and in this scene she it, it it's basically Bond trying to get out of it because he's still trying to be in disguise. You know, we, we, we blasted him a bit for, for having a, a, a rubbish, <laughs> rubbish attempt at trying to be Mr. Fisher, but you know, he sticks to it at least. Um, so he's still trying to be Mr. Fisher and, and promising um, money to, uh, to Miss Brand if she changes her mind and lets him, lets him free. And we eventually get to the point where, she she does that, you know, she she uses this tool and, and cuts him loose um, and they have a bit of a kiss and, and so on and so forth. And I was very quickly going to write down like how 
this is so stupid. Like, in the previous film, they even had one of the Bond girls calling out about this exact behaviour, more or less word for word, about kissing Bond and then suddenly finding the error of their ways and, oh, how could they fall back into this so quickly? Uh, but then, okay, actually, it, <laughs> in the next scene, it's actually not like that. So I was a bit happy to see that it, it wasn't so quickly going back to, uh, like, pussy galore territory. Um, but yeah, so so she lets him loose, and uh, the next, I, I presume it's the next day, I don't know, they end up um, flying because Bond says, you know, we could fly away back to England and you know, get you out of all this sort of mess. Uh, and she's the one piloting. Apparently, a lot of very, very talented, this lady. And she could also fly planes and helicopters. And um, Bond is in the back. She's in the front. And just when you think it's all going so well, she's putting on some lippy. And then she just jumps out of the plane. <laughs> she just leaves him to it. <laughs> so, yeah, it turns out, no, she wasn't seduced by Bond. Uh, it was all just a bit of a double cross uh, because this kind of weird board thing slips in front of Bond whilst in the helicopter. and Is it a helicopter or a plane? I think it's it might a plane. be a plane. Yeah. Uh, Bond slips in front of, crosses hands and then traps him into place and she jumps out and, uh, yeah, Bond is left in free fall. Once again. This whole sequence was so confusing. And you're right. The fact that she it does have a plan does somewhat help it. But this moves like a mile of minute. And I think I was just so confused by everything that was happening. So, because I feel like you explaining it does highlight how quickly this moves. It's Bond wakes up in a chair. Miss Brandt is there. I have a scalpel. I'm going to take off your skin. And then <laughs> they kiss. And then Bond's like, I'm a spy. And then Bond's like, I'll give you half of 300 grand if you go back to Tokyo. She's like, no. But then releases him. And then he cuts off her clothes. And then cut to the plane, then she's doing the lippy, and then he gets trapped, and then the lippy smokes, and she just jumps out. You're just like, what is... Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, I couldn't get that mad at it, because it was, like, such insanity. It feels like there was no attempt to make this cohesive and work. Where you get what they're doing. When you take a step back, you get it. They're both fooling each other, and she's doing it just to kind of, you know, try and kill him a different way, but... Why would you do that if if you have Bond captured? Like, and why is she like, no, but then yes? And why is Bond like, I'm a spy? It's like, I mean, it makes for a funny moment of her jumping out of the plane because the, the special effect on that isn't great. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, I just, I couldn't enjoy it. And it didn't annoy me, but it really confused me. And that, some ways, isn't good, but like it's so odd. This whole sequence is so odd. Yeah, it did. It did kind of annoy me actually. Just just at how unnecessary it all really was, because it yeah, wasn't that's true. That the whole scene with the the plane falling, it, it wasn't tense or anything. It wasn't. It wasn't really that good. I mean, it was just an excuse for another explosion, like another instance ex- explosion sort of thing, like we've seen with the cars previously. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it was to set up that she needed to be killed later on, but why does, you know, Blofeld could have just done that anyway. So, yeah, bad. Waste of time. Not very good. Yeah, it's just so quick. Because, yeah, it that, as you say, with the plane blowing up, so what happens is that her falling from the plane, she uses the 
the lippy actually is like a smoke bomb or some sort of small explosive and bond then just escapes he just does and then he goes to take control of the plane which is all going to crash and it's like smoking and things like that and then he just lands it like yeah there's no real stakes here he's on fire and he just finds a nice area and just lands it and then quickly gets out the plane and then it instantly blows up (laughs) (laughs) such a quick shot of the plane landing and just a man like oh gotta go and then just (laughs) boom instantly and it's like it's chaos it's just absolute chaos and and that's it and and that's your scene yeah yeah chaos but not not really fun chaos just just chaos really yeah, just chaos uh, so then we cut to tiger and bond talking and basically he's telling her about the experience of with number 11 and miss brant i believe and aki says oh mr bond would never chase a woman like her and then we get some <laughs> <laughs> these are always my favorite bond moments where it's like Mr. Bond would never chase a woman like her, right? And he's like, oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> I can't do it properly, but like these films have such, Sean Connery has such amazing delivery with some of these like sarcastic, oh, not me, not James Bond, tee hee hee. Uh, he has so many of these lines and this is one of them and his delivery uh, is, is great here. I think what helped, it's kind of well known that by this point he was, irritated with the bond character um the attention that was giving him and i think just being typecast so it's why you know there's there's a different bond in the next film and i I think elements of that definitely show through in this film but sometimes it helps (laughs) like the way that he just sounds kind of almost bored sometimes when he says lines especially when it's working with these sarcastic quips actually it works in the favor i'd say yeah like Thinking about it, this might be, and I know this might sound odd, this might be my favourite performance. because It's like he's so comfortable with the character and he's so smug, but he's not like superhero Bond and he's not like super cocky Bond that we got in Goldfinger. Like it's, it feels a little bit more balanced. And even though there's some really cringy, not great parts of the film, I feel like Sean Connery is actually quite solid i i feel like they found a really good balance here where i found him quite enjoyable and he doesn't slap any women so that helps as t- as well um but mm. yeah I, I just some of the lines in this make me really appreciate sean connery as bond it's interesting that you'd say that for this film yeah i'd have to think about it a bit more because i didn't think that when i was watching it but I definitely okay. liked because I had problems with him in Goldfinger and I had problems with him in Thunderball, but I didn't really have many problems with him in this one. But he definitely is that fully formed, established version of Bond. You know, he's definitely very comfortable in, you know, with playing Bond and that character has been fully formed at this point. So it's kind of, a, I guess it's like I have no real complaints about his portrayal in this one. Um, and when I compare that to Goldfinger and Thunderball, where I do have complaints, it kind of makes it look better in retrospect. Okay, I I definitely do, but I'll probably go into that when we're doing our ranking at the end. Okay, cool. So this is Aki, Tiger, and Bond having a picnic or something? Yeah, play some little lunch or something. Yeah, just hanging out in the Japanese, in a big Japanese garden. Um, And Tiger says, we are finally being able to look at the photo 
that we found before from the poor woman who was liquidized and we're able to track down where this coastline is and Bond's just like, we should go to the coastline. And then we cut to the next scene where it's Q. Q's here. Q's back. Yeah, just as moody <laughs> as ever. Well, he's been brought, you know, he's been brought into the field again. <laughs> Probably sick of it now. Yeah, it's so odd. Back-to-back films where we have Q going into the field and following Bond rather the other way round. Like, we've seen Q, like, what, once in From Rush With Love in the office, once in actual Q branch, and now twice out in the field. We've seen him out in the field more than Q branch. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed. Would not have guessed at all. No. So this is when Q all huffed and huffy and puffy saying, I'm in no mood for your juvenile quips, 007. Um, But he has bought little Nelly, which Tiger is not very impressed by, saying, that's a toy helicopter. This can only be for children. Um, But then we see the helicopter get built in a very odd scene where it's just a shot of, you know, a, a few pieces of it. And then it keeps cutting to it getting built bit by bit mm. almost like pages in like a lego instruction book yeah like, like stop motion or something yeah yeah and it's a little bit weird i kind of would have liked to see them not build it in real time but this felt very out of place for for this type of film yeah i think it could have been edited a little bit a little bit better because you're right it, it did stick out to me as well just a little bit primitive i suppose in relation to the rest of the film yeah, so eventually we do get this fully formed helicopter, although it's a very miniature helicopter, so it's very tiny. Uh, and then we get the the classic scene where Q says, now pay attention, 007. And they take a look and go through all the different features it has. And very similar to Goldfinger, basically the gadget that Q is giving him is this helicopter. And he's going through the different parts of the helicopter where it's got machine guns, it's got rockets... Uh, heat-seeking missiles, it can shoot flamethrowers, it can use smoke, it can use mines, and also, most importantly, it has a helmet that has a camera on that Bond can also wear. So a very similar scene to Goldfinger, I think, when all this said and done. Yeah, and and exactly the same in, in that we see all those gadgets used pretty much at once in the same scene, which isn't great. Although we do get can't remember how many. I know we get at least one gadget later on from Tiger. So it's evened out a little bit. You don't just get this from Q. You do get a little bit extra. Uh, but I, I really like the scene. I really like, <laughs> I just like how, you know, we talk about Sweaty Sean, but, you know, there yes. is a Sweaty Q here. And I, I just like how he, how <laughs> uncomfortable he looks. He's just there constantly patting his head. He's just really, <laughs> really annoyed by this whole thing. And I just found that really funny. You know, it really adds to the the character that, they have for Q of being this bit of a curmudgeon. Um, but yeah, I think what I, what I also really like about the scene and about little Nelly is there's that idea that Bond already knows what it is and how uh, I think he says like, oh, you know, we've made some improvements since the last time you used it. And just giving that connotation of the other adventures and things and missions that Bond has gone on that we, we just never see. It's like, uh, yeah, all the all the times he uses these gadgets and kind of learns about them and maybe bonds with them in certain ways um kind of come to the forefront here i just like that little little line or two just kind of giving the idea that he knows about it and used it before so do you know if little nelly appears in the books at all i don't think it does no 
Okay. Because I thought they might be referencing the books, but then, you know, I think, yeah, I could also see it go the other way. I was just curious to see if it was in the original book. But assuming how you're saying it's about a castle growing a load of poison plants, I can't imagine why Bond would need a helicopter for that. <laughs> so no he, no, he climbs up the uh, the cliff in the book. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So from here, we go straight into Bond in this little helicopter going to check out this island. And he flies over this this island and starts kind of checking it out. He sees a, a fishing village. He sees this big crater, but there's a, a body of water at the bottom that they focus on a little bit. And he, but he doesn't think much of it. And basically kind of just reports back saying, hey, there's nothing here but volcanoes. But we get some more really nice aerial shots off this island like we we talk about the variety of the shots and that definitely we get that here and there is just something cool about seeing even though these are not active volcanoes it's still really interesting uh a really interesting island to see all these big craters especially by this kind of tiny fishing fishing village that's nearby oh yeah yeah beautiful landscapes i love the emphasis they have on those sort of shots they're really making use of what they have available. Um, although, actually, I think I read that for a lot of the shots in this upcoming scene, uh, it was actually filmed in Spain or something because you know, it was like a as a fallback thing. But you know, the bits that are in Japan are very, very nice. And the one thing we always, we're talking a lot about all the sort of camera shots and everything. And yeah, there's definitely uh, an emphasis on making things look nice. And also just um, telling the story in more creative ways. So, for example, in this scene, yeah, Bond is out scoping this island, uh, looking over the volcanoes and everything, and eventually he is chased upon by all these enemy helicopters. But the way that that's revealed is not just a, a hard cut to, oh, there are some bad guys. It does it a little bit more tastefully in having Bond looking at the shadows on, on the rock or the volcano and then seeing there are extra shadows forming behind him of, of the helicopters. It's just such a little, it's a little thing, but I just thought, oh, that's, that's nice. You know, it's not, it's, it's, they're putting in some effort into visual storytelling as well, not just the basics. Yeah. I thought that was really neat as well. Cause you were just kind of experiencing it, how James Bond would experience, right? Like that is probably how yeah. he would see it. He would see the shadows and it's not surprising that something like this has happened. It just makes it feel a lot less simple you know like the first two films we talked about being simple and at this point there's definitely adding in a lot more wrinkles to make it a little bit more interesting as a film which is always appreciated yeah yeah and i think this whole scene with with bond uh fighting all the helicopters and, and showing and, and using off all the gadgets that q just outlined all the heat seeking missiles and mines and flamethrowers uh it, it's really good it doesn't really hang around uh it doesn't outstay its welcome it it has um you know, Bond taking out his helicopters one by one, pretty much in various different manners. And you get your explosions and, and everything like that. You get the Bond theme, uh, like the actual Bond theme, none of the, like you were mentioning earlier, not not a, a twist on it. It's just the Bond theme, pure and simple, playing over it, uh, which I feel like you've, you've got to have really, haven't you? So, yeah, I really like the scene. Yeah, I really like it as well. And yeah, there's a few things that 
Because this really is the same setup as the Goldfinger one, where Q says, here's all your gadgets. And then he goes out and he gets chased and he just uses all the gadgets. But I think there's a few differences here. The first one is what you said with the shadows and the setup and help. And seeing the Bond theme or actually having it play over Bond in action is so cool. Like, it's way cooler than it probably has any right to be. But it's because we just haven't seen it before. They normally save the Bond theme for, like, airport security and things (laughs) like that. So... It's nice to finally see it be used in an action scene. It's definitely not something they could do more than once or twice, but I do feel like it's kind of been worth the wait with this one because it is a very kind of unique fight. And that's what I think works better with this one. It is... It's just visually more unique and interesting to see this tiny helicopter dogfight than it is to see one car driving and one car kind of following. Because, yes, you do kind of roughly know how it's going to go, but it just feels a little bit more different that it's this, these helicopters instead. It's not just cars. And having the guards shoot at him and having Bond kind of maneuver around them as well. It's not just Bond driving forward and then using the thing. He has to kind of position himself in certain ways in order to use the gadgets. So with the flamethrower ones, he has to be a lot closer to them so one gets close and uses a flamethrower but with the mines that he has he has to parachute them down so he has to kind of like go upwards and then parachute you know so he's in position to do it so he is actively doing things in order to use these gadgets where before in the golfing one yeah he was just kind of driving forward and it's also surprisingly satisfying to see it play out and i think because the heat seeking missiles at the end i i really like that moment so he kills them all one by one by using the gadgets and then for last he has the heat seeking missiles that he shoots out and it's just it's just cool. It's just cool to see the missiles go out and then seek back to the rock uh, to the last helicopter to blow it up and to end off the scene. So, yeah, I really really enjoyed this one more than I thought I might do. Yeah, heat seeking missiles are just cool. And when it's timed up with the you know the final twang of the Bond theme, you know, mwah, chef's kiss. Uh, one thing that I think kind of separates it and elevates it above the Goldfinger example of having the DB5 having all the gadgets and stuff, as you were saying, which I agree with what you said, is that when it comes to cars, you have two cars or three cars, however many bad guys there are. And yeah, Bond's car is cool, it has all the gadgets, but it, you know, it is a car, right? So the best it can do is go faster, maybe, or something like that. But what I like about this is that when we had the setup of Little Nelly and, and uh, Tiger saying, you know, that's, that's a child's helicopter or whatever uh because you know it's kind of small and silly looking but then you see that play out in that it can turn a lot faster it's a lot more nimble it can outsmart all these helicopters it it makes sense and and actually has a nicer conclusion for that for that gadget if you want to call the whole vehicle a gadget um than a car does to me so oh yeah really like it yeah i really like it it feels like bond doing something which makes sense considering we hear the bond theme playing over all of this Mm -hmm. yeah So now we have some scenes where it's cutting away from Bond. So we have a very Bond-focused scene. And now we go back to the story where it turns out that the Russians are planning to shoot their ship into space. So we have a scene of very similar to what the American version was, where the Russians shoot up a, uh, a spaceship that starts going into orbit. You have everyone doing space babble, but this time it's all in Russian. Uh, and then the bullet ship shows up or the bird ship whatever it's called shows up on the radar opens up eats the russians 
uh, and then that's then no more Russians. Something I really like about this scene and is the music and something that's cool about this is that there's a very specific piece that plays for all these space scenes and i like the tension that comes with as soon as you start hearing that music like before the this ship has even been eaten or before the bullet ship even plays up you start hearing that theme and when that theme kicks <laughs> in you're like yes i know what's going to happen here but in like a good way i can appreciate that yeah it's like the jaws theme you know it's a dunner nerd it's the it's just those first little notes of it you think oh here it comes <laughs> Yeah, and also I really like that we get no subtitles here. Like, you know what's happening, but it's just Russian speaking Russian. <laughs> and there's no real attempt to make you understand what they're saying. You can pick up maybe a word here or there, but no, they're just speaking Russian. And they seem very upset, uh, but you just kind of, you get what's happening because you've seen it play out before, but this time it's Russian saying it, so they don't translate it for you. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's more visual. You know, you don't need to have everything spelled out word for word this whole scene uh so yeah we see we see the the specter rocket eat the russians but you do see a bit more of it now where you actually see it land as well um and come down back into back into earth and um i was quite surprised i didn't realize that they showed off the specter base at this point uh i just in my head it was always this big grand finale thing that you see at the end of the film um where bond breaks into it but no, you actually do, you see the rocket come in and land in uh, a volcano as it comes down, uh, the same volcano that, that Bond was spotting earlier. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, th- that, that surprised me a bit because actually I think, if anything, it kind of undersells that whole set and that, that base. It's, it's one of the most talked about bases and, and things in Bond because it was a real set they built, this gig- gigantic volcano space uh lair and um it's huge right it's it's, it's absolutely humongous yeah, and yeah. it's all real and you can tell because you know there are actual people there and every now and then there's like a dodgy map thing but that's for when it's like far away or something but uh yeah like there's 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 monorails going around it and there's vehicles in there and there's people and it looks great like it's always talked about being one of the best things um about this film as well but they i don't know it feels like they sort of could have done more with the big reveal of this and it's it's just kind of shown off now it's almost like they just kind of showed the the cards a bit too early um i don't know how you feel but i just yeah, maybe I, I quite liked it but i just like looking at this set so yeah. for me it's kind of i can appreciate them showing it and i also appreciate them saying okay here's the bullet ship eating the russian ship but we're going to give you a little bit more. Maybe they could have just shown the crater opening and then the ship going down and then it's shutting again. Mm, But I don't know. I like looking at this base. So getting more of a chance to see it before the big finale, I I thought that was quite neat. I I just like seeing it. Good base. It's a good base. So, yeah, and also I thought it was quite impressive that they actually show it falling down to Earth. Like, again, it's clearly a fake effect, but, like, they actually show it falling down. It's like, oh, that's quite cool. That's cool that they tried to make it a, you know, you're following this ship down and you don't necessarily know where it's going to land, but you're kind of on the journey with the ship to find out where it's going. And seeing that crater that Bond was just at and have that open, that that was cool. I really liked that moment. All of the shots with, with the models, I think, are, are pretty... They're either good or they're okay. Uh, we mentioned 
the beginning, the pre-told sequences. It's when you get people and you're having to sort of uh, merge them with with the model shots. It's for me, it's where it gets a little bit messy. But you're right. Like when it's just focusing on these model shots and and, and doing, yeah, when it's entering the atmosphere and burning up, sort of thing. Oh, looks fine. Like considering the time of this film, I think yeah, before the actual moon landing, I think it was all right. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought they were cool. So now we have a lot of scenes that kind of jump around a little bit. It's it's one of those moments, something that Fundable set up, and I think we're going to see a lot more as we go. So the Russian ship has been taken, and we cut to the Pentagon, where they're like, well, we didn't do it, but the Russians are going to say we're going to do it. So they then say the British idea about it being Japan is nonsense. We don't really care about that. So we get a little bit of setup of, well, America is thinking about all this. Uh, and then we go back into the base where we cut to Osato and Miss Brent inside the base and we see the classic white cat and Blofeld in his chair. We don't see Blofeld yet. We're still focused on, on the cat instead. Um, but we're basically seeing this operation go down where they take the Russians out of the ship and they take the astronauts out and go to arrest them. It's actually quite slow, to be honest. Like, this is very similar to Dr. No. You see this procedure. Like, they really want you to buy it that this is actually a rocket landing and there's a big crew here. So it's it's quite slow, but I think it's a pace that I actually quite like. Um, so finally, we also have the mono cars as well that we see. Uh, Blofeld goes to the apartment and we see his feet. And in my notes, I put that cut to Bond talking to people, which I wish I put more notes or wrote that down more. But I think during this whole sequence, we see Bond briefly. Uh, <laughs> you lost me there. <laughs> I might be talking nonsense. Like this does move quite well. Ironically, you know, the bit of them taking everyone out is quite slow, but quite a lot of stuff happens here. We go through quite a few beats quite quickly. But I don't know what that means. But I think we quickly cut to Bond elsewhere, only to then kind of cut back um, into Blofeld. Hmm. I can't remember. The only thing I... So the thing that stood out to me uh, with this bit in, in the base, the, the Spectre base, is that you were hearing Blofeld speak. And it's a new voice because ultimately it's a new actor playing Bond. Uh, and Blofeld. Sorry, Blofeld, not Bond. Uh, that's next <laughs> Not one. yet. Um, yeah, and I remember mentioning in the previous podcast about I've not really liked the voice that they've had for Blofeld. Um, I've, I've found it a little bit too warm and a little bit too, I think I said about Santa Claus before. And I, ironically, there was uh, the actor they originally had to be Blofeld in this film. They recast because they said he looked too much like Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> but uh, so this is now Donald Pleasance. Um, who's playing Blofeld. And I, I think you can argue about, you know, how he looks or whatever, but the voice, I think, is great. Like, this is exactly how I imagine Blofeld would speak in this sort of very kind of reedy, slimy little voice. And to me, it's like, yes, this is how it should have been the whole time. Um, I think it's really cool, especially because you still haven't seen him yet. So the voice really adds to that. Yeah, I like what they do here where... Yeah, they set up Blofeld the same way where he's talking and you don't see him and that only happens till later. So it's like kind of carrying on with the other films in the same way and how they did it. But I have to disagree. I don't like this voice at all. Like, it's just... 
doesn't sound intimidating enough. And I don't know if it's just his delivery of some of these lines, but I think the Thunderball voice for me was kind of perfect. And it's how I imagined it, where he doesn't sound big and he does sound quite small, but he sounds quite intimidating. And this one here is just lacking that intimidation factor. And he just sounds a little bit too like whiny and not <laughs> great here. And I get that that might be what you kind of like about it, that he's meant to be a, a bit of a dweeb or whatever. But I can to relate. me, I want, I like the Dr. No approach and how he kind of talks. So another version of that. And again, how they had the voice of Vulnerable, to me, is how I think Blofeld should sound. Very slow and intentional. But this guy is quite quick. Like later on, he goes, kill Bond now. And it's just like, mm, okay, all right. Mm, yeah, what what they do, do with the character later on, I think is a little bit questionable. But yeah, that, that's how I felt. There was a whole bit in this scene. Uh, now, now I might be jumping ahead. I don't know because of the whole when you mentioned about the Bond bit. But at what bit do they have the bit with? Uh, I guess we presu- are we to assume that the Chinese government are there. Yeah, it's someone. I guess Japanese, but I really don't know because <laughs> it's meant to be. Am I right in thinking that's in the scene? I'm not. I'm not missing something big. Am I? Yeah, yeah. So he's talking to someone yeah. from some type of government, I believe at this point yeah um uh, so he's yeah talking to them and, and uh they're, they're saying you know oh you know the plan's going really well blah 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 because they want some sort of war between america and russia and that's why i think it's presumed to be china because it sort of makes sense yeah um, so going by the wikipedia wikipedia page it says a great power so i don't think they ever <laughs> specify what it is but it's not you're meant to kind of put that together right it's probably not singapore <laughs> hey now that's all our singapore listeners gone <laughs> i said it's not i said it's not <laughs> hey no they're a great power don't worry um and then that's where that's where blofeld is doing the typical blofeld thing give me more money basically give me give me the money <laughs> give me all the money classic uh, blofeld classic they should have known really by now uh and uh, you know at which point they're like oh no but we agreed it would be after the after war broke out sort of thing uh, but Blofeld's having none of that. And this did make, did make me think because um, he asks for, I can't, can't remember how much money it was, but he asked for it in gold bullion. Um, because I know previously they'd asked for it diamonds in Thunderball. Yeah. And, and you had that idea about, oh, was this related to what eventually they do with diamonds? And I guess not. <laughs> I, guess they just, I guess not, no. Which is a shame. Yeah, they, now they just want gold. Yeah, $100 million, I think, in gold bullion. What he oh, asked okay. Well, there you go. But then this is where I don't like his voice, where it's like, but this is extortion. He's like, extortion is my mission. Or like, he says something like that. It's like, ugh. <laughs> Sounds like, like a Dalek. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just off. I didn't like it. And also throughout this, we, we get introduced to Hans. Oh, yeah. It's Hans, everybody. Yeah. Where he throws some meat into a nearby pit or not a pit but a nearby kind of body of water and then blofeld is like piranhas are pretty sick aren't they they can strip a man in seconds they get very hungry don't you know it's like okay um so this is where they mean to blofeld all right he's trying to be cool (laughs) yeah he's trying (laughs) you you would get pushed in those in that piranha pit so quickly tom you know that uh probably he wouldn't take any of this. <laughs> I wouldn't say to his face. <laughs> yeah, wise. Yeah. 
So also throughout this scene, the the cat looks quite uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Oh, the <laughs> cat the... looks really bad later on. Yeah, like the previous cat was quite calm, and I think that is what added to it. That you had this villain who just has this cat who's just very calmly being stroked, and the cat's nice, relaxed. This film, we have this cat that looks like it's just ready to jump at any moment, and a lot more like aggressive stroking of the cat, and it's like. This was supposed to be like a cool and calm thing. And now we just have this scatty cat. And it's like, <laughs> they, they kind of ruined it a little bit. Yeah, you could tell that the stroking is to keep it in place rather than <laughs> actually just stroking the cat. Uh, later on when there's explosions and stuff going off, this poor cat, I mean, it's animal cruelty. It, it looks petrified. Yeah, it's, Yeah, it just doesn't... If they were going for the sinister thing... And I guess this is why you can kind of parody it and why this is the film that gets parodied a bit because some of those cracks start to show with this character. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Osaka and Miss Brent are there as well. So after he tries to extort a great power, those two are there. And he, where is it? So it's the X-ray that when they were doing the interview with Mr. Fisher and the guy saw the gun, they're looking at the x-rays that they showed there. And then Blofeld's like, do you know what type of gun it is? And it's like, of course, that's a Wolfer PPK. And Blofeld says, there's only one person in the world that uses that weapon that we know it's Bond. And then both of them are just like, I don't think it's meant to be fake acting, but it's not great acting. I just like what but bond isn't alive we thought he was dead and it's just like no he's of course he's alive what do you what and of course he's the only man in the entire world that uses the water ppk they make yeah. it especially for him yeah they must have done right after m and the old q ridiculed him for his old gun <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I always like the ppk that's the one i've always liked and no one else can use it now only me yeah 007 it's me i'm cool <laughs> so then we get a little bit of finger pointing where uh, they're like why isn't this guy dead and Osaka is all like well I ordered Miss Brandt to kill him and he's like okay cool alright nice and then Osaka walks off and then number 11 or Miss Brandt walks across a bridge going over the, the piranha pond and then you see Blofeld's foot on this like pedal like, I thought it would be something cooler, but it just, like, is a, a normal pedal that you would see. Um, and he pushes down on it, the bridge opens, she drops into a piranha pit and uh, gets eaten by piranhas. Which, similar to the other scenes like this, they don't actually really show much at all, if anything, right? She's just kind of in the water, wading around, screams a bit, and then it cuts away. Uh, it's a waste of a, of a good piranha death. <laughs> I don't yeah, even but, think you ever see the piranhas at all. No, you don't. And that's like unlike in Thunderball, where we were saying how they had the shark deaths, but you, know, you never really saw anything too bad. But they, you know, through through using red and and just camera angles and stuff, you you got it right, and it it still felt a bit menacing. It, there was just none of that. It's just bubbles and people splashing about. It, it's just a waste of what could be a cool thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just harder to. Maybe can you even I don't know what filming piranhas, but. Um, yeah, kind of kind of lame, lame deaths for what could be quite cool. Yeah, I don't like gore in Bond films. So I or not proper gore anyway. So I don't want to see 
her being eaten alive by piranhas. Like, that's not what I'm looking for here. Or even piranhas, like, nibbling at her or anything like that. But, yeah, she just splashes around and then they cut away and that's it. Which, you know, in, in some ways that's enough. But it kind of, like, you could say it's anything in that pit. Like, <laughs> ill-tempered sea bass, for example. Like, oh, you've got to watch out for them. I think that's the joke, right? Like, that they don't show what's in the pit. They tell you it's piranhas, but you have no reason to kind of believe them. And that's what's kind of lame. Like, even if you just saw them a little bit, you were like, somewhat connect the two. But, yeah, it's just a it's just a load of water. And it's quite obvious. Yeah, I mean, they, why would they not even just shove in a few seconds of stock footage of piranhas? I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have any. But it would you'd think they would do something like that just to sell it a bit more. Guess not. Yeah, guess not. So... Blofeld's then like, kill Bond now! Which is, ugh. Um, and then we cut to some more aerial shots of another type of Japanese building, which I don't know the name of. Is it meant oh, to be like a style of castle or something? I, I don't I know. think it is. Yeah, I remember reading this on the wiki. I think it's actually a castle, yeah. Yeah, so it's like on this hill as well. It, it, it's another really impressive shot showing this big kind of, yeah, this big Japanese style castle and all these paths and these gardens going up to it so eventually bond meets up with tiger and aki and then he's like we should go to the volcanoes and ask how many commandos do you have which tiger explains ah we don't have commandos we have ninjas they're much better and this is my ninja training school where we practice the art of concealing oneself and then i don't think it's meant to be a joke but they cut to all the ninjas training and they are screaming so insanely loud. <laughs> there is no concealment. Just like, ah, like hitting each other with sticks. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, the art of the ninja. All right, got it. Nice. It it reminded me a little bit of Spectre Island in From Russia With Love, uh, although not quite as comedic, I would say. I, th- I think this, they're actually just trying to show off cool martial arts and and things there's no silly weapons and you know there's actually just people using what is it kendo where they fight with the sticks i think that might be what it's called i think Um, yeah that sounds right yeah kendo and and shurikens and stuff i don't know that's actually accurate but i mean it looks cool um so yeah it could this could have been i think quite bad but actually it's clear that they're just using people like highly skilled people that actually know how to do this stuff. They're just recording them doing it. And that's fine. Like It's just more of showing the sumo match at the beginning of the film, just showing off more Japanese culture, I guess. Yeah, but if this was meant to be cool, I personally would say it's not cool. <laughs> uh, just It's just more silly. So enjoyably silly, but it's just a load of people screaming, doing all this random stuff, which is meant to be them training as ninjas, which, yeah, you know, it's fine. Um, but the idea of a ninja training school in itself makes me kind of ri- raise some eyebrows as well. Like, that's a bit, that's a little bit odd. But yeah, again, it's fine. It is that spectre scene where it's just these guys going around screaming and training and fighting each other. So, you know, it's fine. What is not so fine is what happens next in the story. And you're going to have to remind me because this is a little plot hole for me that I, I just missed. Why does Bond need to pretend to be Japanese? So, it's a great question. <laughs> yeah. It's one that has no true answer, I think. 
Okay. Uh, it's, it's one of those that philosophers are still <laughs> <laughs> talking about. Um, so, so briefly, though, basically, they go inside and they explain, hey, we're going to get a load of ninjas and we're going to sneak into the base, which is where Tiger then says, here's a cigarette, which has like a rocket bullet in it and mm. gives Bond a load of cigarettes, where if he smokes them, it will fire a explosive shot across. And then following that, Tiger says, you need to become Japanese, you need to train as a ninja, and you need to take a wife for all this to work. Now, I think the reason why he has to become Japanese is because he needs to blend in when he goes to the fishing village. Okay, good. Because that's how it is in the book. Okay, and, cool. And, that... and, and that in the book, it's because there's the fishing village is close to the cliff where the castle's on top and where Blofeld is. So he needs to... And they're very, you know, they have very specific rules on this fishing village. That's why he needs to pretend to, to, you know, become Japanese. I just, I must have missed a bit that this village has it as well. So that that's fine. Okay, that's, I mean, it's not fine what happens. <laughs> but, you know, at least it makes sense then. Okay. It, it makes some sort of sense. And I only, I don't think they specifically explain that or explain it very well. It's just when he finally gets to the village, you're like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense. Especially because you know Spectre are kind of everywhere and patrolling the island. So if Spectre, I saw it more as if Spectre saw them or saw Bond, they would be like, that's Bond and would just sound the alarm. But he just needs to kind of blend in enough so they don't know Bond is there rather than necessarily tricking everyone in the village, although they do need to trick people in the village, so no one in the village alerts Spectre. It's, it's, it's more, that's how I took it. Yeah, no, that does make sense, actually. It does make sense. So also, at the very end of this, and we haven't really talked about Tiger too much, uh, so this scene ends on Bond saying, is my wife going to be pretty? And he's like, no, she has a face like a pig. <laughs> Which Bond's like, to hell with that then. <laughs> and Aki's like, what about for king and country? He's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> um, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> but I think just on Tiger, his relationship with Bond doesn't really work for me. And they spend a lot of time on it. And you can kind of see it. And it's not bad. I think just the way Tiger's characterized makes it so he just kind of rubs you the wrong way with the way he kind of acts and things like that. So, I mean, I can't remember the guy's name in From Russia With Love, but I feel like that was a lot more kind of... That worked a lot better than this. And while I didn't come away hating Tiger, I didn't really like Tiger all that much. I I agree. I do agree. I, there's, it's not the same. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Karim, Karim, something like that. Karim uh, Bay. Yeah, Karim Bay. That's it. Bay. We got there in the end. Um, not the same as that. I think partly because of the way the character's written and, and the actor, maybe, but also I think it, it works both ways. I think Sean Connery as well just didn't have any effort to have a sense of uh, rapport with the character. Um, so, yeah, I think together, combined, it just doesn't really work. Um, which is a shame because it's it, it does, in the in the book, I hate, I hate keep, like, I won't be bringing up the book for much longer, folks, because I haven't read that many. <laughs> I hate to keep bringing up the book being like, oh, I've read the book. But um, in the book, they spend a lot more time with Tiger teaching Bond Japanese traditions and and actually how to become Japanese. And it works a lot better because there's just more time spent on it. 
obviously that's not going to translate to a film as well, but it, it does mean that the character of Tiger in this book is a little bit forgettable, sadly. Yeah, yeah, again, it could have worked. All the pieces are there, but like they spend more time together than Kurobe does in From Russia with Love. It's just, I think rapport is, I think you've nailed it with that word. Those two had rapport and kind of got on and there was like this mutual respect for each other and helping each other out. This one was a bit more disconnected and yeah, it just kind of falls flat a little bit. Not enough to sink the film, but they definitely wanted you to to like this relationship. And I think you come out of the film just not really being that fussed about it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, Bond Bond has to has to have a wife, and you're right. Like, <laughs> there's this whole thing about women, lots of women having the face of a pig, which and we don't see them yet. But I just think like. How do they cast? How do they do the casting for that? that those uh, those women. Like, you need to be ugly. <laughs> it's just like, I just feel bad for these poor women. I don't um, think they cast it as you need to be ugly. I think they just cast it as in you need to be over thirty five. Oh. And in Bond's <laughs> eyes, that's ugly. That's a pig. Yeah. yeah, that's like get them out of here. I don't want to see that. Yeah. Um. Then, so is it now when we get the the the, the sky is seen? Oh yes. I mean, I, honestly, I don't really have much to say. I mean, it's 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 something that has clearly aged very badly. Um, Bond Bond being disguised as a Japanese person by having sort of uh, eyelid prosthetics added and this terrible hairpiece, and I think he was tanned a little bit as well. And um, there is another thing. Oh, he gets waxed as well. Obviously, uh, the whole the whole bird and and the bear tree stuff coming back. But um, yeah, I don't. It's just bad. Like Sean Connery looks bad. It looks stupid but there's not really much else. You just sort of go on with it and, and and just ignore it to an extent. At least I did. Yeah, it's all very strange, though, because this whole scene of them transforming, it's not just like Bond goes to a beauty parlor or something and then they silt out his hair. He's like lying on a table and it's treated like some sort of operation is going on, yeah. but it's being done by the same women that was giving them a bath, all in their underwear still. And yeah, like you say, the main thing that changes is that he has a wig and Sean Connery wearing a wig that's supposed to look like a Japanese man. You're just like, that looks so weird. But the fact that this room is just so odd as well, it's like got a reflective floor, which is, I think, part of the reason why it feels like an operation instead, like a very shiny reflective floor and these these big like square bars everywhere. Like they almost... I don't know why they gave it such a unique set because this set doesn't show up anywhere else, but they clearly put a lot of time to build this set. So they kind of focus on it in a weird way. And it's just like, yeah, you do have to move on from it, as you say, but they do focus on it in a way that it's kind of surprising. Hmm. Makes me think, was it meant to be uh, impressive? I don't know. Because it isn't. No. Sean Connery does not look Japanese. No, nope. never looked Japanese. Nope. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just evident from his later films where there's no effort to put on a different accent, let alone trying to look different. So, but yeah, anyway, but the point is Bond becomes uh, Japanese so he can marry and uh, get onto this fishing village. Um, so after that, we get a little scene with him and Aki as they're meant to know that, no, that's with his wife later on. So I'm getting mixed up with them sitting down and stuff. Uh, so yeah, him and Aki. And um, 
I can't remember what happens beforehand, but they end up in laying in bed together. Does anything interesting happen before that? I don't think so, but this is part of the reason why I think it was Aki before who did the massage, because then it would make a little bit more sense why they would be sleeping together now, because they did it earlier in the film. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, they're sleeping side by side, and we get uh, an assassination attempt. So uh, this is another thing about how, why does Bond need to be disguised? And you're right in that, like maybe getting onto the fishing village and blending in stuff. But then also they clearly know that he's the bad guy, even disguised. So, because they're trying to kill him. So, yeah, yeah, I I don't get it. It's one of those things, I guess you just don't think about too much. Uh, But yeah, there's this guy that's kind of creeping in from the roof and the rafters. Uh, And actually, I quite like this as, as far as assassination attempts go. It's different. So he has this uh, long bit of string, which he he unfolds down to Bond's mouth from the ceiling uh, and hovers it up over his mouth and, and gets some poison to drip down. So it follows the the string, the drip, all the way down to the bottom, uh, trying to drop it into Bond's mouth, um, which he almost does very, very nearly until Bond moves just at the last second and it uh, and Aki moves into his place and the poison goes on her lip instead. And then, yeah, she she dies, unfortunately. There's not really much to this scene. They wake up and she's dead. And, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of glossed over a little bit, really. Yeah, that's it. It's weird because Aki has been a big part of this film. Like, we haven't yeah. talked about Like, she, she's been around a lot. But when Bond's son wakes up and, and sees her dead, like, that's kind of that. And I think Tiger maybe shows up and he's like... <gasps> But then it's never talked about again. And I think the real reason is because Bond's about to get married. And this film is actually really odd because I don't think it has a proper Bond girl. Like, not a unified one. You go from, like, that girl at the very beginning to Aki is probably the closest. But then they kind of just kill her off in order for Bond's wife to pretty much become the Bond girl. But it kind of means that there's no real proper Bond girl that stands out from this film because it's split between Aki and, and Bond's wife. Yeah, yeah, you get, yeah, Kissy um, <laughs> is the name of Bond's wife at the end, who I, I they definitely have that as she is the Bond girl at the end, but you, she's in it so little, really. It doesn't doesn't feel that way. Uh, it doesn't really feel justified. You're right, it's a little bit um, lost, I think, in this film. Yeah, we've seen this before with Goldfinger and it happens again. They sometimes just get this very confused. Rather than just picking one character and having her develop as you go, sometimes they're just like, yeah, just kill her off and move on to the next one. Yeah, we got Jill, we got Jill's sister, whatever, Pussy Galore, ah, it's fine. It'll and do. That happens. Yeah, whoever's around. And that that basically is what this scene is. But, but I agree, I think this scene's quite cool in terms of the assassination scenes. Seeing someone trying to assassinate Bond in a different way that's a little bit mm. more creative. Um is always enjoyable even though the way he gets out of this one is just i don't know turning his head like (laughs) incidentally and that's it day saved no there was a gadget he was actually using a gadget in his sleep which moved his head to the side (laughs) now listen here 007 if you ever find yourself about to be poisoned in your dreams dream about falling and it'll activate (laughs) it's thought of everything oh good old q yeah uh, so after that we then cut to bond training because there's supposed to be like this sense of time passing here i don't know if they specify how long bond spends training but the idea is like we've got 
Well, they do say that it's like a week or something until the ship launches, the US ship. Yeah. Something like that. So there's meant to be this sense of time, although it goes quite quickly, which is probably a good thing, to be honest. So we then cut to Bond training using like bamboo sticks. uh, And we get some more shots of people just training as well, including a man breaking a block of ice with his head, which, again, if that's meant to be cool, like it's impressive. But in a in this context, I wouldn't say cool is the word I would use. It's yeah, you you can tell they just went around to people and said, "Who can do what?" Right, you you can you can do kendo, do some kendo for us. What can you do? Oh, all right, you can you can uh, smash your, <laughs> smash some ice. Great, you do that. Yeah, we'll put it in the film. It we'll we'll stick it in there somewhere. Yeah. So then we get a scene of of Bond practicing, and he loses at the practice. But then the guy has a knife at the end of his bamboo stick and he tries to stab Bond but Bond despite losing at the practice is able to just grab it and stab him and then he's like well he was an assassin and Tiger's like okay (laughs) yeah so you know our our security is compromised that's fine it's only our ninja training school (laughs) no big deal I just don't get the point of this scene we've already had an assassination attempt did we need another one yeah, I mean that's why I say I don't understand why the bond is still being uh, attacked. Oh well, yeah, try to be killed because they shouldn't know he's here now, right? I, I, that, that's the thing I just don't get. But um, yeah, so another another guy dead after that. I don't I don't know how much time is meant to have passed. Actually, yeah, you're right because I guess the idea is that Bond is learning some of these skills and arguably never really uses them. So I don't, well, that's not true actually. There's a little bit later on you could, you could argue was a ninja, ninja skill. Um, but yeah, after that, I don't know <laughs> what happens after that. You don't know? Is this when they go to the island now? No, this is when Bond gets married. Oh God, that's why. This bit just went on for so long and I was just bored by it. Okay. All right, let, let's get through it quite quick then. So it starts off funny, but not in a good funny way, where the women are coming up next to Tiger and Bond and Bond is waiting for his bride-to-be. And there, there's these women and this is when you see it, like the ugly women where Bond looks at them and just like is so annoyed, like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, the faces he pulls in this bit, it's 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 funny, you're right, but it's just like, it's like you, you try to be good. a little bit more respectful maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's just so, you just see it on his face. And then the creepy thing is that the the third woman comes up. But even then, I wouldn't say these women are that ugly. They're just older. Like, I think they're just older women and that's how they do it. And then the third woman comes up and the main thing about her, I wouldn't say she's that much more attractive. She's just younger, really. Mm. And then Bond smiles and oh, it's all a bit too much. That, that That is literally what I wrote in my notes. This is all just too much. <laughs> it does, at this very same point, I put that Sean Connery... It's starting to look a little bit old now to me, especially in comparison to having the young women around him. It's starting to look a little bit older and getting into that creepy-ish territory for me. Nothing too bad. I'm not going to say it's like shockingly bad, like Roger Moore later on in some other films, but it's just you can definitely tell that he is um, not quite how he used to look. No, but they just didn't need this bit. They just needed to him to get married and they could have done that quite quickly, but they really draw this out. You see this whole ceremony of them two together and someone, I don't know, like 
sings a bit or something i think and then they drink some tea from his hands and mm. lots of people in robes and uh, it's all just a bit painful and i think this leads me to a point about this film that i think goes against it where i've praised some of the other films in the past for really showing off the culture and the scene you know showing it off and giving you a little bit of a tour and using bond as a vessel to explore these places and show them off but i think why this film fails where the other ones do a better job is that the other ones don't try to fully like incorporate bond into the culture like bond is very much an outsider experiencing this as an outsider's perspective and i think mm, the tourist was, uh, yeah a tourist basically but this one they just kind of try to have their cake and eat it where he tries to like fully integrate into the Japanese culture and tries to fully take this on. And it's once that starts happening, like obviously the the transformation to be Japanese is the worst part and is terrible, but it's not even that. It's like him wearing all the robes and him getting married and him learn like fighting against ninjas. It's like, it's too far. So while you might think I would praise this film for really showing off Japan, and in a lot of ways I would, I do think the aerial shots in all these different locations are great. I think the thing that, they fail at is that bond should not try to integrate himself into the culture he needs to be that observer and that kind of works better as a format of bond visiting these places yeah i i think i think that's spot on really that there's uh there's definitely a line to be drawn and you know he is a spy right at the end of the day there is an element of needing to blend in as a spy uh but maybe not in this way yeah, they just crossed that line where I wish they just didn't do that. Bond could have been there still being Bond with everyone else still training and things like that. Like, Yeah, there's a reason why he's all dressing up. But yeah, it would have been nice if they just found a way for Bond to still be that outsider. He could kind of learn some ninja stuff. That can be kind of fun. But this is like a full Japanese marriage ceremony with Bond wearing Japanese hair. Like, uh, no, like it's just painful. I just can't. I, I don't it's bad yeah but bond gets a little bit annoying i think in these bits for me especially when after the marriage scene and, and there's him and his wife his new wife in their home and she's she's outlining you know this is this is a business only thing you know we're not sleeping in the same bed and this sort of stuff um just as they're about to eat oysters <laughs> and she <laughs> says this and he's like won't be needing these then and just puts them down it's like so petty <laughs> Just eat your oysters, Bond, for God's sake. It's like a little child. (laughs) Fine then. No dinner. Uh, Yeah, so after that, everything's now been ready. He is now fully Bond's son. So he's ready to go to the fishing village. So they all get onto these boats. They all put on these big straw hats, which is kind of like, why did they give him the hair if he's just going to wear a giant hat? (laughs) don't ask questions tom don't don't ask questions Move on. so they're finally at the fishing village and tiger says hey my men are on the island uh we only have four days left but there's like about 100 of his men on the island kind of ready to go um so bond is then a fisherman they get there apparently there's a funeral going on which i didn't pick up on until afterwards but there's like a ceremony going on on the island but they go to kissy's house and this is when yeah that scene plays out 
He's like, there are separate beds because this is only professional, so he sulks and doesn't eat his oysters. But there's another awkward line, and this is when we start hearing Kissy's dialogue, which is more bad dubbing or just bad delivery, where she's just like, my parents are dead. It's like, oh, Jesus, all right, you're just going to... Oh, okay. Yeah. just going to come out with that, I guess. Cool. Charming. Yeah, I missed that, but I'm I'm not surprised. The, the, the dubbing does wreck a lot of the end, like, especially when we get to this point in the film. It's not great. They did, clearly didn't spend much time trying to match it very well. No. So then we cut to night, um, but we get some more Japanese-sounding music. And I complained about the Japanese version of the Bond theme earlier, but now that Bond has gone all in with being Japanese, I now tie it to that, and it makes it way more cringy. Like, they could kind of get away with it before, but now that we're seeing Bond son and doing all this sort of stuff, I'm like... Oh, like I can't hear that Japanese sounding or style of music without cringing a bit. Okay, I I think I've just about kept them separate, so I can still appreciate it a little bit. But I can see how that would, yeah, they're just synonymous with with doled up Sean. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad look. Like separately with the music, sure, but I in my head I now tied that to this kind of. Sure, there's a there's a phrase for it. I can't remember. I'm sure there's a phrase for this, the cultural appropriation or something like that. But yeah, mm. it's pretty bad. Yeah. So yeah, so we cut to night and Tiger is talking to Bond, and he says that the U.S. president has announced that another missile or rocket ship is going to go tonight. So they no longer have four days in order to do it. They have to go tonight. And Kissy mentions there's a cave nearby where somebody went in and when they came out, they were dead and they decide, hey, we should go and check out that cave. Yeah, I mean, that's a smart idea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not go in there? Yeah, so they do. And um, they go in there with a little little boat uh, the size of the cave, into the size of the volcano down the cave. Uh, or they don't spend long there because um, Bond smells gas. So they escape and swim back. They swim very far in a very short amount of time. Like they cut and it's like they're already like half a mile out from the from the cave. But uh, yeah, there was gas there as a bit of a deterrent from whatever is there. So kind of solidifying the fact that it's something's going on on that volcano. And yeah, that's what that funeral was. Was the was the lady coming out of there dead? Hmm. So yeah. So they again. Bond knows that something's going on here. And because of the gas, they say there's a tunnel going up to the volcano. So they decide instead of going up the tunnel because of the gas, they have to go up on foot. So we get a lot of shots of them just climbing to the top of the island, which gave me some Dr. No flashbacks, especially because she's in a white bikini, similar to to Honey Rider. I don't know if it's meant to be a direct comparison. I would guess probably not. But Dr. No had all those scenes where they're just going across an island with a woman in a white bikini and the the same thing kind of happens here yeah yeah definitely so they yeah, they climb up uh and then climb down so they get to the rim of the volcano and and get towards and look down and go and inspect it further which is then when they realize that oh hang on a minute that's not water bond throws a rock and it turns out yeah it's big metal big metal sheet uh so he goes to explore it and uh, that's actually when just, you know, fortunate timing, a helicopter is coming down uh, into the volcano. So it starts to open and um, gives Bond a chance to look in and, and get in. I don't, the one thing I don't understand, though, is that later on we learn that there are guns and everything. 
and cameras <laughs> in exactly where they are, and they're not used here. Don't know. Uh, maybe they thought Bond hadn't found them. <laughs> Don't know. Maybe he was blending in with his grey outfit. You know, maybe he actually worked. <laughs> yeah, the ninja outfit. Yeah. Oh, there's just some rocks moving. It's fine. But slightly before this is also where Kissy and Bond end up kissing. So before they go to the volcano, they're just sitting there, and of course they kiss. I, like, is it even worth questioning this at this point? Like, it makes no sense. But we've seen this many times. But yeah, so they go from strictly business to yes, a little little kissy kissy for kissy. <laughs> you were just waiting to say that, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one. <laughs> I completely forgot that. So that just goes to show you what I thought of it. Yeah. So we get a little bit more cuts as well. So we go back to the Pentagon where they're saying like, yes, we are launching our ship. We're, we're going. Let's do this. And then we come back to Bond, who is at the lake. Although I think it's kind of implied that they've just been sitting there, uh, Bond and Kissy, because it was day when they got there. And then by the time they get to the bottom of the, the fake or of the crater, it's then nighttime. Oh, OK. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're yeah, just scouting it for a while. Yeah, they they must have been something like that. They don't really explain it. There's no line or to tie it together. Or if there was, I missed it. Um, but this is when Bond sees its opening and then sends Kissy away to get to the reinforcements. And Bond gets out of his fisherman gear and it turns out he's wearing a... A ninja <laughs> costume? Like a... Like, this is something that a seven-year-old would wear on Halloween. Dress it's like up an all-grey... And it's like a over the head to an extent. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It just, yeah, it just completely covers him, but it's just like this really loose, like, bluey cloth. And it looks so... It, it's it's another example of what I was just talking about where, yes, it would have made... I know why they did it, but Bond actually trying to be a ninja is just a step too far. And I would have much preferred Bond in a more... Like, he has spy gear, like, he has black spy gear we've seen before. I kind of would have liked that a bit more. But no, we've got to see Sean Connery in this kind of what looks quite ridiculous with this blue outfit. I mean, you say that's ridiculous, but then what he uses to get into the volcano. <laughs> it's not ridiculous, maybe. He has like these suction cups uh, on his knees and, and hands and, and stuff to, to climb down the side uh, inside the volcano. Uh, but <laughs> watching that, it just made me think of um, the human fly from The Simpsons. <laughs> like, human fly here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bond climbs down into the into the base <laughs> and down onto the side. Uh, it just kind of show, goes to show you where my mind was at by this point in the film. I was thinking about The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all whilst this is um, going on, yeah, the US are launching their their rocket. Um, and this is kind of like where we get into the the final act now of of the film, the the very time sensitive thing happening. You know, it's, you have the bombs or or missiles or whatever. In this one, it's it's the rocket going up, um, and yeah. So Bond sneaks in, and I don't know if we get any more with Blofeld yet before he starts to sneak around on the monorail stuff. I don't think so. No. Because this whole thing is just like, yeah, the the operation of the US launching their rocket and Spectre launching their rocket to intercept. But it's just Bond kind of looking around and finding the astronauts and, and kind of 
sneaking around. So yeah, I don't think we quite see him yet, but but mm. very soon. Yeah, because yeah, we see more of Bond. We see more of the base, uh, the Kulika base, uh, with Bond sneaking around it, getting onto um, sneaking aboard the little monorail system. I love how Blofeld was. You know, we've got to have a monorail. <laughs> he loves his transport. Uh, sneaking aboard a little monorail car and and uh, zipping along to some sort of back back rooms where he discovers the kidnapped real astronauts um and it, 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 he uses one of the cigarettes first doesn't he mm. or does he oh, not he might... how, how does he open the door for him i can't remember i don't think it was a cigarette but maybe it was he blows it, up the lock there's definitely it, an yeah. explosion so it would make sense if it was a cigarette maybe yeah anyway he, he opens the door and, and um releases them and uh uh thankfully all these astronauts are apparently very well trained fighters as well because they um they disguise themselves as other workers but i think no are they disguised as wait a minute am i getting am i jumping ahead so Bond frees them. I, I think you got this right. So Bond blows up the lock and that alerts some guards. So Bond goes into the room with them and then a load of guards go into this the where the US astronauts are and they just have a fight and just win and just knock them all out. Then Bond's like, right, still all their uniforms. So then they all dress up right. as guards in the base. So they dress up as guards and then they dress up as astronauts. That's where I was getting confused. There's a double disguise going on. Yeah, only um, Bond dress up as an astronaut. They all still dressed up as guards. Right, right, right. But I, I like this sort of stuff. You know, we know this is all going to go big, but I don't know. I, I think I just like the visual and the idea of Bond sneaking around, even if he is dressed up as a ninja, and just finding a load of guys and recruiting them. And, you know, you see this big impressive base and this big operation, but you start to see the seeds of Bond kind of getting in there and setting some things up. I always think that's a... I always appreciate those moments. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely quite a ballsy move to then disguise as one of the astronauts. Uh, I don't know what his plan was when he was on board, because yeah, he, he uh, they all go in and and um, attack the actual astronauts. Oh, sorry, the the Spectre astronauts. Um, and as you say, Bond disguises as one of them, um, and then they go to get called up to actually go into the rocket and get on with the plan of going to kidnap the American uh, launch. And, it, you know, Bond is just ready to get on there. <laughs> he goes up the elevator. He's ready. You know, we, we were almost going to get Bond in space quite Damn. a few years earlier. We were so close. But uh, Blofeld is watching and spots something and says about, hey, could, you know, wait a minute. Get that 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 last uh, that second astronaut. Bring him to me. They that hairy Bond's... chest astronaut. Get him off. <laughs> The disguise just wasn't good enough. Couldn't cope with Sean Connery's hair. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> we get Bond being brought to this little kind of like the little control room where everything is happening in front of the screens and everything where Blofeld is. And we finally get, after so many films, Blofeld and Bond together. So just quickly before that, there's also a very brief scene where we see Kissy swimming away a black helicopter flies above and swoops shoots at her she dives underwater they can't find her and leaves and there's not much to it it's basically to be like was she killed by them or not because you don't see it so you're supposed to be like is she going to actually get there or did she die or not so there's mm. there's meant to be a little bit more suspense there about is she actually dead or not well bond to has get support yeah yeah 
So then, yeah, Blofeld and Bond, here they are. So it initially starts with Hans. You know Hans. It's Hans, everybody. Hmm, him. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> He's standing between Bond and Blofeld and they start speaking and oh, this reveal uh, is so weak because of a very small thing for me where like you have a shot of hands just blocking half the frame and you just see a little bit of Blofeld and when Blofeld reveals himself he just peeks around hands like, rather than getting hands to move, he just peeks around the side. He's like, ah, it's me, Mr. Bond. Ha-ha. Like, <laughs> why did... Like, it's such a minor thing they could have changed this of just hands stepping out of the way. And it would have made it a lot more effective. But no, we had to have Little Blofeld peeking around the corner with his cat. Don't call like, him Little Blofeld. <laughs> little, it is Little Blofeld, though. <laughs> little Blofeld. Yeah. No, you needed the swivel action. You had to have the swivel. But he didn't reason. swivel. He just peeked. Oh, you're right. Yeah. That's Swivel true, yeah. would have been way better, but no, this was a hands <laughs> I like to think yeah. it was like hands, can you get out the can you get out the it's, it's just Fine, too shy. I'll just go around then. Fine. <laughs> oh, you really are making you are ruining my opinion of this blowfell by making pointing out how much of a little weeb he is dweeb he is. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well it now is the first thing he says when he peeks, you only live twice, Mr. Bunt. Is that the first line? No, no, Bond sets it up with something. Because um, I think he says, uh, you know, Mr. Bond, uh, I presumed you were dead. And then Bond says, this is my second life. And that's when he says. Yeah, yeah. you only live twice, Mr. Bond. He says the line. Yeah. Which is this the, I know it's not the first time, but I feel like this is the first time they've really hammered it home. Because Dr. No was obviously the name of the guy, Dr. No, so it doesn't quite count. And then they never say from Russia with love. I think it's on... He writes it on the photo. Yeah, but they don't say it. No. And then Goldfinger is, again, it's a different case. It's the guy's name. And they do say fundable, but it's just like Operation Fundable. So yeah, and there's always a reference. But this is like the first time where it's very weighted towards like, the guy said the thing. He <laughs> said the name of the the film, guys. Like it's, they put a lot more into it, which makes sense with it being Blofeld. But yeah, this is the first example of of this where, you know, like that one time the world is not enough, where she's just like, the world's not enough. It's like, all right, thanks. <laughs> like, this is what, That's a weird this is thing where to that say. came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, the whole cliche with, with Blofeld is is the, the swiveling around with the cat. Oh, I've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. But you're right, there is no swivel. What the hell? <laughs> it's, a, it's a peak. It's, a, it's swivelless. I can't believe that. I've never really actually thought about that. But that is the thing. And it might it swivel in a later film. Oh, I think you might be right. I think I know which film it is. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm just going to say this early, even though we're just starting to get rid, like onto the Blofeld stuff. Blofeld is wasted in this film, personally for me. Um, and even though I like... The actor, and I, I like this this Blofeld. I, I know you, we have different opinions about that, even though you are slowly convincing me otherwise. Um, <laughs> it's still not. It's just such a waste. It's such a waste of so much setup. But yeah, anyway, that's that will be later on, I suppose. Um, not too much later on. Not because... too much later. We are near the end. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they do talk Bond and Blofeld, but I feel like not a lot. Like, there's not a big conversation, mostly because there's so much going on in the background. So they take Bond cigarettes, we see that happen, but then the crater is opening up, and we get all these kind of cuts and jumps between the final countdowns and things like that, and them just actually launching the ship. And finally, the rocket shoots up, and as we see the rocket shoot up with the crater being open, we then see Tiger. He made it! And Kissy isn't dead, and shows up with a ton of ninjas, and they start to, to charge the crater. Now, there was a little moment here that I didn't get what this was at this point, where Blofeld, like, spins a gold chain in his hand. Did you mm. see that? Yeah, I did see that, yeah. What was that? That is the key to open the rocket destruct button. So why is did he, like, spin it? Has. I don't know. He just wants to look cool. <laughs> he really so is a nerd. Oh, my God. He's oh so weird God. with his hands and stuff in this film. He's just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I didn't click that as the key and if I did maybe it wouldn't look so weird but you just randomly have Blofeld like and then just puts it away so okay fine oh can you stop please (laughs) stop ruining Blofeld Mm, well yeah no it is it is strange I mean you're right there is not much dialogue between Blofeld and Bond because this the mission is is going on in the background so you're between all these lines, you're getting people saying, you know, open the doors, prepare the thing, do this, do that. All these orders being barked. It, it does. I, I get it in that it's showing it's showing Spectre doing what they need to do. They, you know, they're not going to be put off by by Bond being there. They, they still need to get the job done. But it does sort of take away from the whole Bond versus the villain ending because it's sort of it's like it's intruding on on the actual stuff they want to do. It's a little bit pushed aside. Yeah, and I don't mind it too much as, you know, because we know we've got other films coming up that will feature Blofeld and he'll be more of a focus. So Mm. I actually do like this approach in terms of the whole franchise as a whole. And it's part of the reason why I hate Diamonds Are Forever, because I feel like they intentionally had Blofeld at the back part of this film with you getting a little sneak peek only to then have this fleshed out in the next two films and kind of seen to a conclusion. So I like that approach. But yeah, it is a little bit odd to see Blofeld and not see Bond and Blofeld have any real connection. And also the fact that the character gets that he gets recasted, which just ruins it, really. If you saw the same Blofeld in the next film, even though I don't really like the guy's Blofeld, at least that continuity would have made this so much stronger. But instead we have this one who, again, a lot of people do really like as Blofeld and think when some people say Blofeld, a lot of people do think this person. Uh, But you only get him for like the last half an hour, if that, for the film. And that is a bit, can be a, a bitter pole, a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like what you're saying with Felix about how you can't get any attachment with all the different actors. And especially with the next film being not only a different Blofeld, but a different Bond. It's like you lose any sort of thread of what was set up here. So it is almost like they're starting from scratch. Because I, I see, I didn't even really think about when you're saying about there's more Blofeld to come, I just completely skipped on Her Majesty's Secret Service in my mind. I went straight to Diamonds Are Forever because it's like, it, to me, it's like so separate from this. Um, yeah, because of the different characters and, and and the fact that they're playing on Bond being in the disguise in that next film. But anyway, um, I could see it being, I could see it working in that regard if if it was, if it did play out like that where actors stuck around, but sadly it's not. So to me, it just makes this a little bit 
uh, of a of a shame. But anyway, yeah, the, the seeds are there for something cool, but they don't develop that enough, which is again part of the reason why I hate Diamonds Are Forever. So. Yeah. So while the ninjas are all up above, they start to shut the crater, and also no sorry i think the crater might already be shut by this point and then blofeld's like crater guns fire and then they start shooting all the ninjas above um so they're they're just being slaughtered brutally by all these guns in the crater so at this point bond says i could do with a smoke it's like here we go will will you let me (laughs) smoke first which blofeld being the reasonable man it's the 60s he was like yeah go ahead I've got like Blofeld says you can have a cigarette. This isn't like a henchman giving it to him. This is specifically Blofeld saying, "Sure, go ahead. You're going to die anyway. Have a cigarette." Ha 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 ha. Um, so, so <laughs> yeah. then Blofeld, yeah, lets him have the cigarette. Bonds, as we know, it's uh, a, a bullet. Which again, I really like. I actually really like these as gadgets. Um, I think this is actually a really cool one. So he yeah. uses that to kill a man and just charge across to open the crater door so all the ninjas up above can get in. Uh, and that starts the, the proper siege from them onto the base. You know what? As much as I, I, I hate Spectre for lots of things, including the whole old Bond and Blofeld brothers, maybe they really are because you know they both have very similar uh viewpoints of letting a man have a smoke before he's about to die <laughs> we pointed it out in goldfinger bonded exactly the same thing they respect a man's cigarette so maybe they are linked <laughs> you <know>? it's common courtesy <laughs> they're not so different after all um <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you just quote austin powers <laughs> oh was that from austin they're powers not so different you and i <laughs> literally a plot from that film there you go so you can't even talk about this film without it being yeah it's it's this film has been ruined by austin powers but anyway um (laughs) yeah so i i I too like the whole cigarette thing because it's quite a it's just a nifty little gadget you know it's not very uh obvious just bond having a bit of smoke um but then now is now is like proper proper end of the film one side against another chaos which we've seen bits of before um underwater at the end of thunderball fort knox with goldfinger this by far to me is the craziest most chaotic and actually i think i like it for that reason it's it's uh it's just so mad there is explosions and people jumping everywhere there's all sorts of deaths it's just if you actually pay attention to what's going on the screen at any one time it it's it's quite something to watch yeah because it's such a huge set but I feel like this is a bit more choreographed than some of the other scenes where there's a better sense of progression. Like you get that real sense of the ninjas storming the base and being successful, but you know, sometimes being shot and not being successful, but over time pushing through. And I think for me, that's what makes this scene really work where yes, it's chaos, but there is a more of a through point than some of the other films where you can see this progression of first the ninja start at the top and then they go down and then they blow up the hole so everyone else can come in and then they start sieging one pit and then they take over where the shutters are and then they do an assault on the stairs like you can see them taking control and you can see the you know they're at a big disadvantage but over time they start winning and this fighting feels like it's got a little bit more of a point it's not just a load of shooting and then at some point they stop uh, so yeah i mean it's crazy and it's extremely loud 
there is just constant gunfire and grenades mm. going off and it's kind of funny how often people are just throwing grenades all the time <laughs> uh, but, and someone has a sword at some point someone just gets a sword out and so it's like stabbing people it's like okay all right that's cool <laughs> you gotta be well equipped yeah yeah uh i think you're right though maybe that is maybe that's maybe why i didn't notice that consciously but that is one of the reasons why i i, I did like this this big scene uh as you say that maybe there is because it's a clearer progression to it and also um yeah i mean it's just he's just got a lot of stuff to to keep you focused because at this point there's really not much left of the plot like we are reaching more or less the end uh tiger's there with all of his men bonds there at this point i'm trying to remember where at what point blofeld scarpers basically um so yeah so bond and blofeld are in the control room so Bond has been recaptured after opening it up and they put the shutters down and it's at this point that the cat starts freaking out. <laughs> yeah, the cat is not having a good day. I think the cat just leaves, right? I think he just actually puts down the cat. Yeah, yeah. So then from the control room, Blofeld has Bond and Osaka or Osaka with him and then Blofeld's like, I'll show you Bond and just shoots the Japanese guy. So it's like, oh, all right, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And then they go to the rail car. Blofeld sits on the rail car with Bond in front of him and Blofeld has the gun. Then it's just like, goodbye, 007. Of which Tiger throws a a ninja star. <laughs> I'm just going to say ninja star. Which hits him in the wrist. And then I'm assuming Blofeld hits a button to make the, the monorail go. But that car then just instantly flies off. And at that point is where Bond is free to go meet up with everyone else. It's terrible. I I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> I, re- I I just cannot <laughs> go over how much I hate this. It. What? Why? Why? Why does? Why would Blofeld? Oh man. Why does Blofeld not want to kill Bond there, but does want to kill him five meters onwards? <laughs> like, why? I just don't understand. I really don't understand. It annoys me. Yeah. It just. Yeah. The logic's not there. Uh, maybe somebody can explain to us what the logic is, but it it seems very forced to get a moment where Tiger rescues Bond. But I feel like maybe you could have done that in a smarter way, just not have them specifically go to a point. But they needed Blofeld to flee, so they just set it up so all this stuff could happen, but it just doesn't really make sense. It just... Bond needs to get away from Blofeld and Blofeld needs to get away from Bond. So this is how they did it with the monorail system. It sucks. I've got no other words for it. I just, I, it's a bit really annoying. If How they use Blofeld in these last couple of scenes is probably the thing I hate most about this film. There's one more scene with Blofeld, which I think is just as bad uh, a little bit later on. But I suppose before that, we need to still get to... <laughs> we need to see the satisfying conclusion to Hans. Oh, it's Hans, everybody. <laughs> it's back, everyone. Round it's of applause for Hans. Put your hands together. Way. Uh, so you. briefly before that, they, they need to storm the control room. And Bond says, oh, there's another way to go. So they, they shoot a lot of people who are defending those stairs to get in. And funnily enough, Bond kills someone with like a ninja star at this point. He did learn something. Yeah, all that training pulled off. I mean, he killed like eight of them with grenades, but, you know, the ninja star 
that's what really did it. Mm-hmm. And this is when like Bond just walks past like ten dead bodies, and this is the moment where I was like, "Wow, this film loves killing people and not caring." Like I noticed it before, but this one is like, no, this is just James Bond walking past like corpses. It's like it's kind of horrible if you think about it too much. Yeah, it's a bit dark, really, isn't it? Mm. So after that, Bond gets through into uh, the area with the piranhas we've seen earlier um, with Hans and Hans has the key to uh, self-destruct the rocket, the Spectre rocket. Uh, So there's a fight between Hans and and Bond. Um, I mean, we joked about Hans. We don't really know who this character is. He's just a big henchman, really. There's nothing particularly impressive about this fight scene. Uh, you kind of know where it's going to go, given the location of it, you know, with the piranha pit. Um, I suppose, I mean, it, the one kind of cool thing is the way, is like how Bond gets rid of him, sort of with a bit of a, a switcheroo as he's about to, while they're on the bridge of the piranha pit. But yeah, that's where that's where Hans ends up, unfortunately, with the piranhas. Again, a very, very quick, I mean, we're at this point in the film where it's just like, go, go, go. But, you know, there's no time to dwell on, on poor Hans. He just gets eaten, presumably. And that's the end of him. Bond has yeah, I can't get mad about Hans because he's so nothing. No, he's you completely know? nothing. Yeah, he's just a big dude for Bond to fight at the end. And Bond just wins by flipping him in a piranha pit. So there you go. There you go. He's that was Hans, everybody. Ah. Uh... I'll miss him. I really will. (laughs) Yeah, Bond has the key, so uh, is able to go to the control panel. And I don't know if we get more sweaty Sean here. It feels like we should have, but I don't know if we did. It's not in my notes, so it didn't happen. I would have been right on it. It did not happen. Yeah, but Bond's there trying to get the key open and fiddling with it. It's a bit of tension, you know, Um, because I think at this point... uh, is there some countdown going on? I'm sure they would have added something as a bit of a tension. Yeah, point. there's a countdown, but we also cut to space where we see the US, we, we see the ship about to steal the American ship. And we're also seeing the US Pentagon saying, we are going to start a war with Russia as soon as this happens. So basically, World War Three is about to start uh, as Bond is trying to find the button to stop this from happening. And he doesn't find it. And then war does break out. Yeah, weird, right? Weird ending. Sad ending. No, okay. He he opens it, he pushes a button, and yeah, Bond saves the day. It blows up. It blows There's up. There's a self-destruct button on that ship, and it just blows up. Instantly. There's yeah. no delay up into space. It's instant. Yeah. But it lands on 005 this time, which I thought was... Yeah, Weird. I did think they were going to do that again. I thought, oh yeah, there's a big counter right in the frame. They're going to they're gonna do something with that. No. No. Yeah, it's odd. I don't think you needed the counter, really. If they did 007 again, that would be lame. But you don't really need the counter when you've got the actual visual of the ship eating the other ship. So yeah, it's a weird true. one. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to Blofeld one last time. He's running oh. away. I don't think you see the ninja star in the, his hand. Or maybe you do. I'm not sure. I don't know. But this is a bit... I, I just really hate this bit. Because uh, before I would have said he's sort of still menacing... When I liked him, back when I liked him, before I talked to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. The good old days. But in this scene, even even watching it, I, I did notice that he just looks pathetic as he's like scrambling out of this little little monorail thing and, and opening the, uh, the this panel on the wall to press another button, which self-destructs the whole base. He just looks pathetic. And that is the last we see of him. So great. Well done. 
that was Blofeld, everyone. Yeah. I mean, he does say to the camera, you haven't seen the last of me. I'll return stronger than ever, which I thought was an interesting choice. But Oh, I must have been watching the wrong version. Yeah, yeah. Oh, crap. Said, I'll Damn. get you, Bond. <laughs> you know, that's a great impression. <laughs> yeah. But he activates a self-destruct, which initially I was like, why? But it does kind of make sense, right? Like, if there's probably a ton of Spectre secrets and things like that, so if you are going to be captured or have it like that, you don't want anyone poking around Spectre's business. So, you know, it's a cliche, but it probably does make sense that Blofeld would say, okay, my plan has failed. I'm going to blow everything up so there's no trace of Spectre here so I can, you know, rebuild for the next time. Yeah, yeah, no. And there is, there will be a next time, so that does make sense. So everything starts blowing up. We get some explosions and everyone escapes. And we get some that stock footage we saw of the volcano at the beginning. Oh, I think no. we see it again. It's and terrible. It's so bad, right? Yeah, it's really bad. Like I didn't get the impression the volcano was actually erupting at all, but then they cut to these old shots of lava pouring out of it, and it's just like, where did that come from? It's yeah, it's really badly superimposed on top of it, and it doesn't sell it at all. And then they have shots of them in the water and they put like a red light on them. (laughs) I know there really is lava there, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it looks looks terrible. It's kind of a shame, really. I wish they didn't do that. Like, they just show some cool explosions. You don't need it to be an actual volcano erupting. So they escape through the caves from before, I believe, because now there's no gas, I guess. Yeah, I guess Uh, so. A load of ninjas and I think Tiger and Bond and Kissy... Uh, some planes come by. They drop off some dinghies into the water. Uh, Bond and Kissy get into one and watch the volcano blow up. Uh, then we get Bond saying, so how about that honeymoon? Uh, they'll never find us. And this is where we get a little bit of a gag where a submarine then comes up underneath the dinghy where Bond and Kissy are, are on and we go inside the submarine to see that it's the same one from before, where M and Moneypenny are. And M, I believe, says, tell them to come down below and, and report. And that's it. That's the film. Yeah. Um, credits roll. We get James Bond will be back for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So that was very cool to see. Although I think the the wording was different. It wasn't James Bond will return. It was James Bond will be back for. Oh. So that's something they didn't have established by this point. Oh, no, I don't like that. We'll be no, back I didn't for... like it either. No, no, it doesn't have the same ring to it. But that's You Only Live Twice. So who ranked first last time? Because I feel like that's the only fair way to do this. Who ranked first last time? Oh, I think it was me, so it's you to go next. Ah, okay. Yeah, because I, yeah, I got stuck on Goldfinger. So I think overall with this film... Yes, there were things we complained about, but I've enjoyed every single one of these Sean Connery films. Like, I come away from each of them with a positive reception, saying, I enjoyed that. I'm glad I watched it. There was a lot of good things. And this was kind of no exception to that. I was surprised about how many memorable, iconic things are in this film that I'd completely forgotten about. Uh, But I'm really glad I, I watched it. And at the end, again, I was like, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. But that doesn't excuse all the things I didn't enjoy and the things that clearly don't work in this film. I really don't like Blofeld in this film. It's a very small part of the film, so I don't think it's too bad. 
Um, and the Japanese stuff and the cultural appropriation stuff is just really hard to kind of sit through. But I think it's like a lot more solid than fundable in a lot of ways. Like I like the overall plot and and the space scenes and the, the volcano base is awesome. I like the big fight at the end and there's some really cool scenes like the fight scenes overall seem to be a lot better and a lot of higher quality than we saw in Fundable. So in a lot of ways, it's it's a lot of improvements. And to me, it, it came away like a really solid Bond adventure, despite some very questionable decisions. So saying that, in terms of my ranking, when I look at the films, it's like, well, from Russia with Love, it doesn't beat... I put Fundable as second and I would still say I prefer Fundable overall. That just stood out a little bit more to me. And I think the flaws of this film are are worse than the flaws of Fundable. And then that's when we come to Dr. No. And I would still probably say I like Dr. No more. And then we come to Goldfinger and I would probably say I liked Goldfinger more. So for me, this is fifth under Goldfinger. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Even all the things we said about Goldfinger, I still enjoyed Goldfinger. I just think this is the worst of the bunch, but still a really enjoyable Bond experience overall. So for me, it's number five below Goldfinger. Okay. Hmm. I I had a lot of trouble with this. Um, I know last time you had a bit of trouble placing Thunderball. I had a, I, it was very tough. Very, very tough. I think for me, I... The the thing that really was the nail in the coffin for this film for me um, was Sean Connery. I could just I came away at the, at the end of this film. I came out of it having watched it, just sensing that he wasn't. It wasn't the spark wasn't there from him that I'd seen in the other films. I don't know if how much of that is me putting like kind of uh, focusing on that because I know that historically this was where he was getting sick of the franchise and me projecting onto it, onto the film. But I just came away thinking, oh, it just didn't seem as suave. It didn't seem as as charming and as it wasn't quite up there with the other Bond films. I think on top of that, the whole, I mean, I've talked about how I think they've wasted Blofeld um, and, and you've kind of convinced me that the Blofeld we did see wasn't too good anyway. I think if we'd have had Blofeld more in the film, maybe that would have been a bit better. But um so yeah, a, a bit of a waste of Blofeld. I think the only, the real redeeming feature of this film for me is not Sean Connery, it's not Blofeld, it's not definitely not like the Bond woman or anything like Kissy? that. Kissy? It's, it's, no, it's oh. hands. No. Um, yes, hands. <laughs> no, it's it's location. It's I think, I, I love, uh, I love the Japanese setting of this film. I love all the different um, locations it uses we did talk about how it maybe goes a bit too far into utilizing Japanese culture in some parts. Um, but for, for the, for the majority of the film, I really liked it. And I think the cinematography of this film, sorry, cinematography of this film, um, really excels that really excels showing this off as a country and, and as a city. Uh, so basically I had a lot of trouble putting this. I knew that from Russia of love was still going to be top. I knew I, I enjoyed Thunderball more than this. It was, again, it was that thing of do it. Dr. No was a lot simpler, but did I actually enjoy it more? And I think I did because mainly because Sean Connery was fresh faced and trying a lot, you know, in Dr. No. Um, And then it was, well, do I actually like this more than Goldfinger? And I think that's where we slightly differ. I still really don't like Goldfinger. So I'm putting this at number four. 
currently. That that doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And, but it does go to show. Like, I didn't hate this film. It just goes to show that these these first set of films are all quite strong in their own ways. So it does make it difficult to put ones at the bottom because you still kind of like seeing them. So yeah. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of putting myself in an awkward position because I think Doctor No is going to become like a baseline for me. Like, I think most films we rank after this, I'm going to say, I'm going to look at Doctor No and say, is it above or below Doctor No? And that's going to be the one. Because I could see a world where I put Doctor No at number five in this list and I wouldn't even be that mad about it. Just as we've gone, I just kind of do really like that film for the simple Bond kind of adventure it is. And for the fact that I don't think it's that flawed, really, compared to some of these other ones. Like, it's a lot more even in a weird way um, than these other films. And I think the lack of evenness is what makes it tricky to rank them. So a Goldfinger still a more uneven experience than this. But I still do love a lot of stuff about Goldfinger. And this one's a little bit more even than that. Uh, it just doesn't have those highs and there's still things I kind of don't like. But again, as you say, overall, these are a really solid set of films for the first five and I think we're really going to see them separate and this list kind of get more interesting as we have to start inserting like the Roger Moore films in here and the, the Timothy Dalton ones. Like this, these films are going to separate, I think, in a very interesting way. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And you saying about Dr. No, I agree. I think it is a bit of a baseline at the moment. Kind of makes me think I'm going to have to rewatch Dr. No. <laughs> some point. Yeah, right? We're going to have to rank the rank so far. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Cool. So any last thoughts before we end this off? Uh, only that you can't... I'm a bit annoyed that you've ruined Donald Pleasance's Blofeld for me. You're welcome. You're, happy. Yeah. you're welcome. You're mm, welcome. Well, you just, just wait until we get a couple more films in. I'm going to relish that. Wow. I'm just looking out for the cat. No cats were harmed during the... Actually, I think they probably <laughs> were. <laughs> a few sharks, but not the cat. Lots of cats were traumatised during the making of this film. <laughs> they got treats. It's fine. <laughs> Little treats. So, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 5 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs>